Hello, listeners, and welcome to the British Academy of Jewelry podcast. I'm Sophie Boons, and today I have invited another inspirational guest, this time to discuss practice-based research in jewelry and the Journal of Jewelry Research. Even though practice-based research programs in various art subjects are now established and a range of literature is available on the subject, not many people outside the academic realm are aware of the inspiring research projects currently being investigated and the related reflection and evaluation being conducted through practice-based research and jury. To discuss what practice-based research is, why it is important to conduct research, and where we can read about research in the field and more, I have invited the co-founder of the Journal of Jury Research, writer, lecturer, jury designer and researcher, Dr. Roberta Bernabe. Welcome, Roberta. Hello. Hello, Sophie. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you very much to all of those who are listening to us. So, Roberta, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I am a lecturer in 3D design, silversmith and jewellery at Loughborough University. Recently, I've been appointed as a visiting reader at Birmingham Institute Jewellery, Fashion and Textiles. I hold a PhD from Loughborough University and my thesis was on jewellery theory and practice, an investigation into emotionally invested and mnemonic jewellery through sensitising materials. Since 2015, I am a fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And in this year, I instigated the Journal of Jury Research. Uh, in conclusion, I'm also a professional membership for uh, AJF, AGC, which is the Association for Contemporary Jury in Italy, ACJ, which is the Association of Contemporary Jury in the UK, Society of Jewelry Historians, and I write for uh, the Journal of Modern Craft, Claim 02, AJF, and also uh, reviewed articles for the Journal of Material Thinking and the Journal of Artistic Research. Roberta, you actually have a really diverse background. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you studied? I completed a BA in sculpture at the Academy of uh, Belle Arti, Pietro Vannucci, in 1993 in Italy, Perugia. I worked for the Italian-French artist Post Cardinali at Arsenal in Paris until 1994. And then what I decided to do was to continue my study in advertising, communication, storytelling, culture of image, at University of uh, Stranieri at the Department of Lettera and Cultura Italiana in Perugia until 1998. Later, I decided to go to the UK and I started studying uh, an MA degree in Jurian Metalsmith uh, at Sheffield Hallam University with Professor Christoph Selweger and I completed my MA in 2002. Before joining Loughborough University as a lecturer in 2004, I also studied Schmuckgestaltung at Fachhochschule für Gestaltung in Schwäbisch Gmünd in Germany with Manfred Bischof. 
And so later I was uh, lucky enough to study with Professor Otto Künstli at Den Bosch because I studied at the Rus European Ceramic Work Center in the Netherlands, which is an absolutely amazing place if you can try to go there because it's so beautiful. A lot of people might read it as a decision of moving from one subject to another, which are somehow correlated, but not exactly jewelry, because I started um, in the field of sculpture. And then I ended up studied in uh, advertising, communication, storytelling, and culture of the image, because I was particularly interested in semiotics, really. And therefore, there are moments in your life where you can't study jewelry design because when I started in Italy, we didn't have any uh, BA in jewelry design because that was pre the Bologna Agreement, which happened in 2001. So before 2001 in Italy, we didn't have any practice-based BA programs. And this is actually very important to note because for those who were interested in uh, furniture design, ceramics design, jewelry design, there was not a real alternative at further studies. You could start um, familiarizing with this subject if you had chosen to study in a secondary school with a specific section in design as I did, because I went to study in a gymnasium of art with different sections, with different departments, and one of which was jewelry design. And this is the same as the uh, Pietro Salvatico, the secondary school in Padua. Okay, the famous secondary school Pietro Salvatico in Italy is not a university, but a secondary school. This kind of education is very different compared to a lot of other countries in Europe. After the Bologna Agreement in 2001, all European countries were asked to modify their further education system restructuring programs. And therefore, we have the beginning of new area where a lot of new BA programs were developed in a lot of countries that didn't exist before at all. But when I started, the only way I could study something related to an artistic form was either to study at an art academy or the architecture. So when there were students studying jewelry, was it still through a sort of traditional apprenticeship model? You had two choices. You could either become a maker and you would uh, do a, what we call in, in German practicum, practitionship. Okay, you go to work in a studio, in a workshop, and you learn different techniques and so forth. But you didn't get any qualification. The second choice is that you could have studied in an art academy or architecture, but later then you become somebody who is knowledgeable in uh, disciplines related 
to art and design and you need to start learning how to make pieces if you study architecture you don't have any subject related to jewelry neither workshops still today but what i wanted to say is really that today is different and there are a lot of countries that have similarities thanks to this agreement that happened in 2001 but before 2001 things were very different different and when we look into the important movement of contemporary jewelry from padua not everyone has the ability to understand what we mean if you study at the secondary school of pietro selvatico because you don't have an understanding of the italian education system and therefore you think that that is a ba program but actually that is a secondary school it is important to understand that because i think it, it gives a glimpse of hope to a lot of young people or people who want to start a new career in their lives and despite they might have started a different subject but related to art and design they shouldn't be put off by that they should actually think that is it will enrich their further studies for example so if somebody studied furniture or somebody studied a subject, even anthropology, you can be better suited for undertaking a BA program in, uh, in jewelry. And even better if you have already done a BA and then you want to do an MA or PhD. So sometimes it's uh, all about your real interest that you have in uh, pursuing your dreams and I've chosen to work in the field of jewelry when I was very young before before the secondary school as soon as you pick a creative subject you learn how to learn as well right so you can you learn how to to practice something how to gain a skill how to where to look for information and I guess that translates across disciplines Yes, you can treasure, you can, uh, it could only enhance uh, your skills and, and knowledge. Roberta, maybe going back to the beginning, what brought you to the field of jewellery? I was interested in the value we associate to objects that we wear more than the intrinsic values of metals and stones. I, I do appreciate commercial jewellery. I don't have a problem with that. It's just under the umbrella of, of jewelry, we have a lot of subsections. Let's call them like that. It's complex to define all of them, but there are a lot of different ways of thinking of jewelry. I do appreciate all of them. Commercial jewelry, fine jewelry, custom jewelry, all of them are really fascinating. And I would say pieces of jewelry of every nature have different values. But when I decided to work in this field, I was particularly interested in uh, the value that we associate with pieces of jewelry that we wear, not necessarily pieces of jewelry that are shown to the public 
So you might wear something which is very private and therefore it becomes uh, again another kind of object with a different power, for example. I think there is a language of objects that we can uncover. There is an entire world of objects that we can analyze. And if we are careful, we can listen to the voices of these objects. They are part of our lives and they're not uh, there only to be in Honeymate. They have their own lives. And we do take part in this core collaboration, co-creation in making them alive and using them to trigger memories or to talk about our emotions to others. And therefore, the power of these objects is important in our social interaction with people, but it is also very important in order to construct ourselves and our identity. As co-founder of the Journal of Jewelry Research, why did you start the journal and what is its mission? I wanted to fill the gap of being able to publish articles by setting up a uh, scientific journal for articles related to jewellery. And therefore, in uh, 2015, we managed to set up the journal with Jane Wallace as a co-editor. And we do have an international advisory board with experts of jewellery from different countries such as Denmark, France, UK, Italy, Australia, the Netherlands and so forth. I instigated the Journal of Jewellery Research because in my experience as an academic in this sector there was the need to have a rigorous journal for those who wanted to expand their knowledge in our field and Despite I've discovered that there were some journals, none of them were specifically serving our interest in contemporary jewellery, the field of jewellery, and therefore, together with Jane Wallace, we set up the ethos and themes of the journal, which is affiliated with Loughborough University and Northumbria University. Today, we are working on the fourth volume, We are very lucky because we discovered that our idea was a real success since the beginning, since volume one. We have always had a lot of submissions. Uh, We have an international advisory board of experts in the field, starting from Lisbeth van Basten from the Netherlands, Stephen Bottomley from the UK, Lin Chung, again from the UK, Andre Gali from uh, Norwegian historian, Monica Gaspar, Jenny Hutton, Ben Lino, Kevin Moray, Laura Potter, Cecil Uger, and uh, Josephine Winter from Denmark. We also thought that the Journal of Jewelry Research could be an uh, amazing platform for those who are undertaking a PhD. And therefore, on our website, we have also expanded into a PhD map. The PhD map offers an opportunity for 
candidates to publish a very short and succinct extract of their research interest and the title of their PhDs and the affiliation of their university. This is a, a great opportunity for PhD students who want to know who else is undertaking research in this field it's very difficult to know who is at the moment undertaking research in your area because normally on universities website you don't have a list all the time some some universities do that but then you you would spend ages in trying to understand who are the phd students who are undertaking uh, research in the field of jewelry in uh, that university and not another one and therefore we thought this would be a very interesting network between them if they want to exchange information discuss about their research and also create a forum in the future if they want to so the journal of jewelry research is a peer-reviewed online and open access publication that focuses on the design theory and practice of jewelry studies the fact that we decided to have it open access is simply because we want everyone to have access to it, it is what it is we want everyone to have access to our articles there is not a, a second interest or it's just pure generosity of interest in disseminating what other authors of writing on our field and therefore everyone has access to our volumes. The journal provides an arena for the discussion and analysis of jewelry spanning the conceptual, practical, pedagogical and cultural across both contemporary and historical timeframes to consider jewelry within the wealth or creative methodologies at the intersection between jewelry and other disciplines. We aim to publish original papers that have demonstrable research and a clear contribution to existing knowledge. To this end, we foster submissions from practitioners, researchers, theorists, curators, and historians. And this is actually what it has been happening these years. And we are extremely grateful of all of those who have uh, submitted papers because between volume one and volume three, we have published almost five papers every year, even more, six in one year. And if you read the papers, you will notice that those topics really span from innovation in technologies, in up new applications of uh, 3D printing, but also there are very interested um, results of studies related to historical aspect of jewellery. The commonality is always obviously jewellery, but we accept papers who would propose interdisciplinary aspects of of the field the main point is that we want to expand our knowledge in this field and therefore there is a rigorous peer review process every article is uh, reviewed by two international reviewers and if the paper needs to be amended 
then we merge comments from both reviewers and our reviewers are extremely generous and therefore everyone would receive a very detailed and fair list of corrections and sometimes we felt that some needed to have more time and we we can be also generous to enable them to have a bit more time to amend the papers and for those who were new to the research methodologies in this uh, area for example we even provided a tutor tutoring system in special occasions but everything is because obviously we acknowledge that we don't really have a well-developed system to uh, support those who are undertaking research in the field of jewelry and therefore being the first to have provided this platform and, and this journal we feel somehow responsible also to extend our support to other ways, for example, venturing some young researchers who want to, to be successful in their research, but they need extra support to achieve the required standard to have their article published in our journal. If there is a practitioner out there who is doing innovative work or is researching but not necessarily in the way we would recognize in an academic institution, would you say that they can also submit and then potentially receive some support in order to adapt whatever they've written to make it suitable for the journal? Uh, We recognize that those who might want to send papers to us are uh, makers and therefore we have opened up a possibility for all of them with a visual textual paper. So there are two kinds of submissions that we have enabled for our journal. Conventional paper, which is a 6,000 word text, and a visual or contextual paper is around 3,000 word text with a visual discussion with images of the making process, the uh, design process, and this could enable a lot of practitioners to feel much more confident in uh, submitting uh, an article to us because a standard paper requires a rigorous ability to structure the paper in a traditional way starting from the introduction research questions method research and methodologies literature review discussion findings conclusion and some might find disadvantage by the fact that part of their practice-based investigation is through making, through a visual investigation, and therefore they feel the need to integrate this through a substantial presence of images 
that can be described with expanded captions. So the visual argumentation is a mixture of images with expanded captions, but also they could add some videos. We have had in this year's two visual papers, but also for those who are interested, if they look on our website, we have added some examples because it's useful to look at what we mean in a practical way with real examples of those who have already written some visual papers. We could describe it for ages, but actually it's uh, simpler if you have examples and then you immediately understand if you can achieve it or not. But there is also an ongoing discussion because you, you can approach us, you can discuss uh, your idea and we can help you to elaborate, expand, improve your article and submit it and then it's assessed by two reviewers. And could you tell us a little bit more about your personal research interests? My current research concerns emotionally embedded artifacts and their impacts on ourselves and as an aid to well-being. Other research interests include the application of rapid prototyping to invigorate traditional goldsmith techniques so my latest uh, curatorial project investigated possibilities of widening fruition of jewelry exhibitions through sensory and digital experience. And uh, it was an exhibition co-curated with uh, Maria Cristina Bergesio. And it was an exhibition due in May 2020 during the week event of jury in Florence and as we all know due COVID-19 everything was cancelled including this big event but my research outputs include monographic book, journal articles, chapters and exhibitions too. I love small objects to be honest otherwise I could could be a furniture designer or you know but I think I was particularly interested also in the size of the object and therefore the the emotional power is gigantic immense but the size of the object is extremely small this aspect is strictly related with uh, material culture and for those who are interested, the concept of uh, identifying the power of objects, and value of objects in our society today, objects that we wear on the body and how we communicate through these objects that we wear on the body is also studied by a little branch of material culture. And this is particularly interesting for those who might want to do a PhD that could be a practice PhD, but still the theoretical framework will bring insights from other disciplines such as anthropologies and also material culture. What do you feel have been the contributions so far to the field through research? I mean, obviously, one of the biggest is the introduction of the 3D printer. More than 15 years ago, 3D printers were extremely expensive but also maintaining a, a 3D printer was very expensive. Uh, materials was not so exciting. And materials that you could use to print uh, models were very limited. And the surface, the quality was terrible. 
And so I remember making the first pieces with 3D printers that we had in our, had in our university. And I tried to do everything possible to get rid of that kind of plastic is awful, really cheap result, but it was not possible. It's only now that we have absolutely amazing new 3D printers that the quality is, is of uh, the printing is really good. You can design a very complex geometry and the 3D printer would achieve it. Uh, you can have a big choice of materials, which is absolutely amazing because you could print from metal to plastic, ceramics, and you know, you could design an, a piece of jewelry with different parts. Okay, but what I feel two things. First one, the 3D printer, like a lot of new technologies, should be used only if and when you cannot make something by hand, because otherwise it's a, it's a completely waste of electricity and a lot of other things. So it, it's useless to think that you have to use the 3D printer to add value to your work is a false interpretation. The second point is that actually I do understand that for some elements and some parts of the piece of jewelry, it could be useful to use the 3D printer because you can make the object more accessible, cheaper, uh, even durable if you want to. But I would hope that a lot of designers could also see what else it can be done that has no um, environmental impact. With an application of new technologies in, uh, in jewellery, and if you have a digital device, a wearable object, is also uh, one of the biggest, you say, contribution to the field through research, because the, in the last years, the size of the digital component has diminished to the point that it could be inserted into a wearable object. So you could wear a digital component into a brooch, pendant, bracelet, whereas the first to start undertaking research in this field, I'm talking about digital jewelry, where those who started 15 years ago were facing enormous difficulties with the size of the digital component that was far too big and therefore the final output looked a very uncomfortable bracelet or far too big object that anyone would be happy to wear every day. So I would say that perhaps the uh, digital jewellery is one aspect to be mentioned because of the huge achievements that we have reached with the technology that you can embed into jewelry but all the quality the the amazing functions that you can have with digital jewelry but also the size of it the size is fundamental because we are actually talking about wearable pieces of jewelry and our Okay, preconceived idea is that pieces of jewelry should be of a medium, small size with the fact that we want to wear them very often. And therefore, we want to feel comfortable in having them on our body all the time. 
we won't, don't want these digital devices, wearables, to be a, a real obstacle to our movements, a real pain if they are too heavy, too big. But the digital aspect uh, has reached the level where a lot of people can manage to use it. And therefore, these applications are very easy to be programmed by, by people to monitor their fitness, to monitoring other aspects of their lives, for example, for health problems. And therefore, definitely, I would say the application of 3D printing and uh, digital components in wearables are the two main contributions that I can see at this point. Do you think sustainability and more research into the materials we use for jewelry and how they are sourced and how we could potentially uh, maximize the use of them is also going to be a topic that will encourage more research or more researchers will be interested in. Obviously we're producing unnecessary products okay so I am for recycling what we have at the moment but recycling or ethical jewelry, like recycling gold, has always been a normal process in the world of jewelry because pieces of jewelry have been transformed into new pieces of jewelry since the beginning of, of this field, really. It, it has been done even when we didn't have the world of recycling or sustainable jewelry. I would say for some brands is a way of selling new products, but actually for those who are familiar with the field, there is nothing new about sustainable jewelry if you recycle materials because we have been doing that. What I would say, which is very important, is to make sure that new practitioners, new designers, new researchers would take into consideration that we don't need to produce more and more products that have a really bad impact in our environment. This is fundamental, crucial and extremely important. And therefore, for whoever is undertaking research in this field, the, consider the impact of whatever you are designing in the field in, in the long term, really, how you maintain it, uh, recycle it, and uh, what is the impact of uh, making this object. Um, and therefore, yes, I do, I do believe that it's very important to have uh, ethical jewelry, traceable, materials also with considering that the concept of the piece of jewelry might be more important that the intrinsic value of the materials metals or stones then i would imagine that more and more designers could concentrate on that and recycle what we have already I do acknowledge that we have um, had some colleagues who developed some projects in focusing on re recycling discarded objects and discarded pieces of jewelry in charities, for example. 
this is uh, a noble cause actually i would say because if you think of all of the costume jewelry costume jewelry could be uh, an interesting discussion because we have a huge production of costume jewelry and the life of every single piece of costume jewelry is very short because of the use of materials and because of the nature of making those pieces uh, they are very sometimes fragile easy to break impossible to repair them and therefore we have a huge amount of costume jewelry in charities and i would urge a lot of new designers to recycle uh, or rethink of how uh, existing piece of jewelry could be reconsidered and assembled together to create new pieces and it's also an interesting um, action of reconsidering the memories embedding those pieces by this all of those pieces might be pieces that were loved at one point in their lives and therefore reconsidering those discarded pieces could bring to light new making processes, new new way of thinking that are a little bit more in line with um, environmental issues. This discussion brings to light another issue really that is about being the only maker, the only maestro, the only author of an object because um, the old-fashioned concept is that you are the artist, you are uh, the maker. But for me personally, there is a new way of thinking, which is to give a voice to all the materials that you use and all of those who have worked for you to make possible for you to get those materials because you, you cannot ignore that a lot of people have worked before you, the chain is long, and a lot of them have worked in mines, a lot of work in different industries to make sure that you have everything that you need to make a piece of jewelry. This, this obsession that you have to have your name stamped of, of a, a piece of jewelry and co-creation is a big important aspect of how we operate today. We op today we operate in a different way. Uh, the maker should accept that he or she is not only the, the author of whatever he or she makes. Okay. Even if you manipulate organic materials that you have collected from your garden, okay you should respect that you are working with another entity which is whatever a stick from a tree leaves whatever and therefore you are not this only owner the authorship is actually divided shared with materials and with those who have enabled you to buy specific materials I would imagine that if it is not strictly necessary, we should not produce new products, but we should look into what we have at the moment and reuse, recycle, reinvent, or maybe discover new approaches to work with different materials. 
it's like inventing you know it's like uh, new plastics or or some pieces of jewelry with an absolutely crazy environmental impact and you think well wait a minute do we really need it and why if you're going to put another object on this planet you better make sure it is worth being there and if at all possible it reduces impact rather than increases impact it is a difficult task okay but we we have to live with this challenge because we have to respect the environment and therefore it is unacceptable that we continue producing products with a huge environmental impact and but also industries jewelry industries should recognize that perhaps they need to invest into uh, new research projects that would bring them new solutions and operate in a different way instead of continue producing products perhaps there there might be new approaches that can be developed by researchers phd researchers for example or research groups such as research groups that we have in 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 our university and this is the way in which there is a connection between uh, the industry and practice-led research because otherwise research um, and practice-led research becomes only a way of uh, generating new knowledge that is useful within an academic environment only whereas there must be an application and therefore it is important to have a link to create a bridge between jury industry and research groups in universities and consequently PhD students who can undertake research in this field because this is the future. The future is to generate, discover, implement systems to recover reuse revalue what we have at the moment and not continue producing more diamonds and more new pieces of jewelry from scratch roberto do you think now more than ever it is important that there is investment for research potentially investment also from industry if the industry is interested in uh, having a long business, then have to consider that this has to be supported alongside their production with supporting research PhD students and also research groups. And receive inputs from researchers who might instigate you to produce a new product, a new collection, a new way of thinking, and if, you, if they don't put aside this uh, percentage of their budget, they can see that they could work for a while, but if they don't reinvigorate what they do, I think it will be the end for any you know, business because today, especially with COVID-19, we have experienced a huge change in our life, a huge change in how we experience and use pieces of jewelry imagine if we continue 
been threatened by the fact that we might start following social distancing rules, masks and so forth, people will start wearing jewellery in a different way because earrings is a kind of typology of jewellery which is extremely uncomfortable when you wear masks. And also, if you think of rings, it's another problem because rings are pieces of jewellery that we wear on our hands and we touch surfaces and and it's proved actually that, you know, virus could stay on metal surfaces. Yes, even though the science is still um, evolving every day, uh, up to 72 hours the virus can survive onto steel and up to four hours on copper. So um, that's significant. And therefore you're really worried and you don't want to damage your rings or you don't want to polish them and clean them and wash them all the time. And therefore the huge change that we are experiencing now will have an impact on uh, the kind of pieces of jewelry that we will wear in the future. My personal opinion is that we might encounter big changes in the size of brooches, simply because with distancing uh, rules, if you wear something which is tiny, nobody will see it. And sometimes we use these signals to communicate something to others, and therefore, if we intend to wear some pieces of jewellery like necklaces or brooches, the size of these pieces should be visible from a moderate distance, not a long distance. But, you know, sometimes we, in the past, I could imagine this kind of fashion of really tiny little earrings, little necklaces, almost invisible. I think that will change. Roberta, what other areas within jewellery do you feel require some further research and investigation? Um, I think what new researchers should be doing in the future is to look into traditional old uh, goldsmith techniques and utilise new technologies to invigorate those uh, techniques that have disappeared or are nearly there to disappear from the face of the world, such as filigree. One of my PhD students is undertaking this kind of research, and filigree is one of those techniques that is not used so often any longer, but it it is part of our heritage in a lot of countries, and also I would imagine a lot of other techniques uh, would go under the umbrella of invisible or visible heritage and therefore I would encourage the industry but also researchers to look into the application of new technologies to invigorate old traditional goldsmith techniques that are today not used any longer because it, it produces a highly complex object that requires a lot of time to make and therefore it becomes a luxury object despite the uh, end result and therefore some of these techniques are not so common. But it's a pity for some traditional goldsmith techniques 
today we are experiencing that in some countries there are the last makers who could teach that technique to other makers but they are not able to do that because there are not young practitioners who are interested in making those pieces of jewelry with that technique by hand whereas perhaps the trick is to tell new researchers that they could um, combine low techniques and new technologies such as 3d printer and therefore they might see discover interest in uh, pursuing that line of inquiry whereas now it's stopping them to learn those traditional techniques because they are time consuming very complex and they don't see any future for them if they make pieces of jewelry with those techniques so for me personally those makers should be supported by local authorities to provide workshops supported by others experts in digital technologies and new uh, technologies cat cam manufacturing who could generate a combination of both the traditional technique will be preserved the new makers practitioners will learn how to combine the old traditional technique with the application of new technologies this is the only way because otherwise all of these knowledge from those people that will disappear as practice-based research methods are still expanding, what do you feel makes practice-based research rigorous and what should all researchers in the field attempt to achieve or do? It needs to be said that practice-based research is well known in the UK, but not in a lot of other countries, okay? This is very important, especially for our field. A lot of brands and companies could be advantaged by the fact that here in the UK we act model for a lot of other countries who have just started introducing practice-based and practice-led PhD studies programs. A PhD practice-based or practice-led might have, like in my, in my university, a practice-based PhD student who's made a thesis of 50,000, 40,000 words, okay? At the equivalent of the remaining 40,000 words would be a significant part of their research, but it's practice-based. It means that those students have identified gaps in the knowledge in the field that they have chosen to study, and uh, they have identified research questions and those research questions have been investigated and answered through making. The final outputs might be not only pieces of jewellery, but they could have done some co-creations, they might have done some interviews, they might have done some uh, participant projects, and therefore it is the process of making that would be also part of their research practice investigation. So just to make it clear, the actual output, which could be a body of work or 20 or 30 pieces of jewelry uh, showed in an exhibition at the end of three years, is not the only output of a practice-based research.
okay? The research methodology or the methods are for the theoretical part, but also for the practical part, and it's a very complex and systematic way of researching through undertaking contextual review, literature review, and developing your methodology, which encompasses also making. But the making is part of the whole PhD, is not the only part. And this is a very complex aspect to describe and explain to others who have not a great familiarity and understanding of practice-based PhDs because they think that the output is just practical, but actually this is not true. And it is extremely rigorous, and therefore the theoretical component of a practical PhD is equal to a theoretical PhD, and therefore, when you undertake literature review, it's the same literature review that you would read in a theoretical PhD. If you look at research methods and methodologies, is as rigorous as another theoretical PhD and so forth. The difference is that a 50% of the time that a PhD would spend to undertake research in three years is actually recognizing that research is equal practice. So the research and practice are completely intertwined. We are very lucky in our UK universities because practice-based PhD can be also part-time. A full-time PhD would study for three years and a part-time PhD student would study for six years. And this is a very important opportunity for those who still want to continue their own business and therefore you could delegate part of your week for PhD and the rest of your week to carry on with your business. The concept is that you explain clearly and in a very scientific and systematic way, everything that you have done during your PhD study, because those who will read your thesis should be able to learn from what you have discovered and continue investigating those topics or those research questions further. And therefore, what you are doing doesn't finish there. That's why we publish a PhD thesis, because it needs to be disseminated. What you discover is a set of findings, and therefore they need to be made available to everyone. And those who are interested in that topic could learn a lot from what you have discovered and continue the investigation for years to come. So it's worth to have a look at both the PhD thesis and the object created. I think it is important to be able to read a PhD thesis, actually, and therefore all of them should be published, all of them should be open access, but the theoretical component is easy to read, but the practical one is very complex to be experienced because I could publish a lot of images, but as we know, 
because of the field in which we operate, the three-dimensionality of the object and the experience that you have when you look at uh, a piece of jewellery is lost. We could use new technologies to enhance and give a different approach to that. It will not be the same, obviously. The best is when you can uh, touch the physical output, but this cannot be always possible. Is there any book or any resource that you think everyone should read if they're thinking about research? I'd like to propose the following books. And the reason why I've chosen them is because I believe that in our field, in the field of contemporary jewellery, actually uh, there is a lack of proper academic discussion. And therefore, in 2011, there are two important books that were published. One is on jewellery by Lisbeth Dembesten. The second book is actually Contemporary Jewellers Interviews with European Artists and it's a, a book that I've published with Berg, which is now Bloomsbury. Both books are, for me, the beginning of all the books that have been published later after 2011 that uh, have started establishing contemporary jewelry as a discipline. This is very important because before that we had sporadic essays or the only books written by, uh, for example, Peter Dormer, Ralf Tanner, but we do have some critical books written by those historians and they are extremely important. But then if you really want to understand about uh, craft uh, theory and practice, then you need to look into other books written by Pai and, and other authors, which makes the whole discussion about contemporary jewelry a bit complex because those books, for example, those books written by Glenn Adamson, very interesting books, but uh, there is a discussion about craft as a general discipline and it's only in some specific uh, chapters that you have uh, a deep understanding of issues related with contemporary jewellery. Whereas these two books that I've said before on jewellery by Dembesten and contemporary jewellery interviews with European artists by... Um, Roberta Bernabeu, myself, are specifically actually about contemporary jewellery. The next two books by the same author, and again, we are in the Netherlands actually again, with Marian Junger. And so this book is Jewellery Matters, and the next book is Jewellery in Context, published by Anolcher. And this book is very interesting because this is going back to the difference between a theoretical PhD and a practice-based PhD. This is actually a book extrapolated from a theoretical PhD thesis from an art historian. So we are talking about something slightly different. This is not a practice-based PhD uh, thesis, but 
for me, it is a very important book because it talks about during context. And for those who are interested in uh, understanding the contextual framework and theoretical framework of uh, contemporary jewelry, these are important books. There are other books. Damien Skinner and uh, Kevin Murray are other two uh, authors that should be mentioned. And there are several books published by Andre Gali, by Anolcher. They are specifically uh, talking about collecting and exhibitions and a little bit more general, not only about contemporary jewelry, but they are still very interesting. For those who are interested in understanding the importance of research in contemporary jewelry, but also in the field of jewelry, I would hope that they would simply type PhD thesis in jewelry and read one of the PhD thesis published online. And this is extremely useful because it gives you an immediate understanding of the scope of these uh, projects and what we do and why we, we supervise PhD students and what is the future of a PhD student who has actually done a PhD, practice-led PhD in the UK. It is important to note that for all of you who are interested in undertaking a practice-based PhD, you should read one of the PhD theses published online. Second point, there is a future for those who spend three or four years of their lives undertaking research in this field. Because, for example, in um, UK universities, now those who are looking for appointing new lecturers PhD is the highest qualification. It is not desirable any longer, but it's actually compulsory. That if their interest is to, in the future, to work part-time in a university or in an educational system and have their own business 50% of the time, because obviously the a job with the university will enable you to earn a living to support your studio, your business, you have to understand that what it was previously an MA requirement, so the desirable was a PhD today, is actually different. The desirable is a postdoc and the compulsory is the PhD. That practice-based research carries great importance and addresses gaps in knowledge relevant for everyone in the field today is clear. Even though the current climate for scholars starting a research career is challenging, it is important research is conducted, shared and disseminated, so we can keep evolving through reflection and experimentation. For now, I would like to say thank you to Roberta Bernabei who joined me for this very thought-provoking discussion. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you very much to you, Sophie.
Next month, I will be joined by another guest, so watch this space to find out who it is. For now, this was Sophie Boons for the BAJ podcast series Jewelry Research with Roberta Bernabe. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.